his attention, just like whew. So, yeah. So, what a beautiful day the Lord has made. Um, we are going to, I think, very much pretty sure, uh, almost positive, we're going to wind down this reintroduction this morning, uh, which is this last piece has been a little bit of a discussion about some of the key words in this book of Romans and the key doctrines which we'll concentrate on today. And I realized yesterday and even this morning, um, what a beautiful set of scriptures we're going to look at this morning in light of today's glorious remembrance of, of what the Lord has done. Um, and Jeffrey might recognize this from a devotional that, that he and I uh, read and it's one I've spoke of from William Gurnall. It's about 400 years old, and you know he draws back, you know, a long ways from uh, his writing. And his, the foreword of his book is by uh, Calvin and Spurgeon, if you could imagine, just to give you some context of the treasure that that was to those two men. <laughs> um, but I pulled this from from that. And as I read it to Tina, as I was reading it, I just wanted to share it with you guys, and then we'll open up in prayer this morning. He says, do not hesitate to pray boldly. And my mind, and I hope your mind, just races to the fact that the Lord has literally rent that veil to symbolically welcome us into the throne room of God with our prayers. Think about that. I don't think we think about that enough, right? And not only does, right, because so when I think about coming into the throne room of God with my prayers and my appeals and my heartbreak and my joy, I often don't think about doing that boldly, <laughs> right? Because it, it, it's just overwhelming to think about. But I think it's very right for us to recognize that the Lord has done all of this to include the privilege we now have to be reconciled, which is the day we're celebrating today, so that we can walk right into that throne room of God in spirit and in truth and pour our hearts out to this wondrous Lord and Savior. Isn't that wondrous? Just the very first sentence. And then listen to what he goes on to say. God gives wisdom to all who ask. And he gives generous, heaping portions. And Paul, of all people, just builds that out so beautifully, doesn't he? In Ephesians and Colossians and everywhere else he went in his writing. Never be ashamed to go to him in your ignorance. And that this is, this is, was very convicting for me, how often we can be so sinful this way. He is not like those rude, unfeeling teachers we have seen who seem to delight in mocking the ignorance of their pupils. He's not like that at all. And we've all experienced those teachers and maybe even mimic some of that, that hurtful behavior. 
But he says of our Lord, he is a kind teacher. And your, I love this, your desire to learn from him pleases him. Isn't that wonderful? That just that morning that just brought such a calm on my soul to know that it the Lord delights in our desire to know Him more and more and more and more, and this is precisely what they, our Triune God, has completed from Friday to Sunday, so that we can have that reconciliation that has now become this tender, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Triune God who sits on his throne, right? Um, While everyone does not achieve the same level of understanding in this life, key, all who come with earnest, open hearts will receive ample instruction to prepare them for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Isn't that just wonderful? Come on in, you guys. So with that in mind, let's let's go to the Lord and go right into that throne room with our hearts and our prayers. Father, we come first to you, for it is on this weekend of all weekends that we can call to mind just the magnitude when we ponder the children and the loved ones that we love so, so dearly. The fact that you gave us your beloved son, having decreed full well all of the abuse and the mockery and the murderous plotting, the false accusations, the false trials, the false and illegitimate sentence, so that wicked man could have their fullest of evil, and in the very same work you have redeemed for yourself a people through the only means by which that redemption can take place, and it is through your beloved Son. Your only Son. Apart from what he's done on behalf of sinners to become part of that very same family. What a blessed truth this is. How thankful we are to our Lord and our Savior to have in every way reverentially and joyfully obeyed you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon him that together our triune God would bring about such a glorious work that we will learn about this morning. And so we just take this time with our hearts 
our time, our minds, our fellowship, and we just lift up our praise to you, Lord. And we pray that we can see you high and lifted up on that glorious throne. And so we just praise you, Lord, and we do this now in your ever, forever, eternal, precious name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we talked a little bit about, last week, um, a number of key words. One of those was justification, which is really a key, key, key word in this book. And we talked a little bit about what is the legal scene that is really what is invoked with that word justification. And this morning, we're going to really work more through the, the doctrines of, that, that Paul pulls into this, and you're going to see a lot of overlap. And before I forget, if anyone would like a soft copy of these studies, I am more than glad to share those uh, with you. These two pages would, would be helpful along with the third. So just let me know, and, and I'll be glad to make that happen. But we want to walk through kind of four uh, key doctrines this morning, the first of which is mankind's sinfulness. And we talked last week, and I think it's so true, and Ryan and I have talked a lot, and any time you talk about the atonement of Christ, which is what is central this weekend in our hearts and minds, you have to have yourself grounded in what it means and, and Jeff, you brought this up, right? The holiness of God. If you don't fully explore the holiness of God and get to, the, to the, the reaches of that within the human life, the Christian life, you're never going to fully appreciate just how sinful we are. And if you don't appreciate how sinful we are because of how holy God is, you will never appreciate why they did what they did and why they had to do it that way. And these doctrines make this abundantly clear. And for me, I just use it to convict myself because how easily we slip into the, the tendency to steal from the glory of God by giving ourselves any credit for anything which should be eliminated after we've read through this this morning. Because what you're doing when you're giving yourself credit for something you never would have done or could have done, you are absolutely stealing the glory of God because it is all unto him, right? And I, that just, I think that helps us as believers to not get caught in what is, frankly, rampant in the church today, which is the tendency to say, look what I've done. Who said that first? Have you ever read Isaiah 14? I, 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 that's what is so prominent in that, right? So that's kind of one of those may it never be, but it is so, so common. So the, the doctrine of man's sinfulness is so, so key. And what we're going to do this morning is really just, it's going to be kind of classic Bible reading because nothing, nothing reveals the truths of these doctrines better than Scripture itself. No word of mine could possibly possibly help us understand these um, better than the Word of God. So take a look with me at Ecclesiastes in terms of mankind's sinfulness. Definitionally, I think we can look at this doctrine as 
the fact that sin separates every human from God, pure and simple. We come into the world that way. We are not neutral, nor do we have any desire to seek after God. That's the chicken bone. It really is. That's the one that everybody chokes on. That's Romans 3, right? <laughs> 9 through 20. So that every mouth may be shut, says Paul, right? Only Jesus Christ can reconcile God and man. Only Christ and what Christ has done on behalf of the Father then granted to the believer that great exchange, right? Who does everything in that transaction? The triune God does, right? So important to keep that in mind when we think about the sinfulness of man. Because the moment you unhinge yourself from that, all the doctrines of atonement, the doctrines of original sin, all these things begin to get shadowy and or eliminated and then rewritten. And now pretty soon, man is receiving as much glory as God is in all of this. Right? Ecclesiastes 7.20 helps us <laughs> avoid this trap where it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins, right? It's interesting that it's framed as the righteous man who never does good and never sins. There just isn't one. And we can see this very clearly if you're, so we're going to be whipping through some passages again. Go to Ephesians, so we're going to go old and new to see the continuity of the scriptures around these doctrines. Because as contrary to much belief today, uh, the continuity of these doctrines from the Old Testament to the New Testament are essential to understand them in the New Testament, right? Because it gives us our understanding of the purpose of the law, the fact that a law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, but it was Christ and Christ alone, through faith alone, that we are saved. And that is what the scriptures reveal to us through and through. But when we think of man's sinfulness, look at this treatment by Paul in Ephesians 2. I'm going to read 1 through 7. How can you slip out from underneath this stone? And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So he's speaking to believers in the past, that former life. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now, and very much now, at work in the sons of disobedience. And I, let me pause there for a second. I, I watched the sheriff of one of the largest counties in California pour out his heart. You can relate to this, brother. He's been a lawman for 35 years. He was he's very involved in the military, as is very common. And he said, there was a time in the course of my career where even the criminals had a basic level of respect for human life. 
and for life itself. He said, in the last five years, I have never seen a wholesale giving over to an absolute disregard for humanity and for life itself. They don't seem to care if they die in the process of killing me to get what they want. And then he said the hardest thing. And we have an entire system encouraging them to do it. That's just unleashing the lawlessness that we are headlong into. That's what Paul's talking about here. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived, in case you tried to not be under that rock or slip out from under that rock, right? Uh, that's where Paul says, no, not one of you. <laughs> Every one of you, right, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. There you begin to see the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and why we so desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the rest of mankind. And here comes the but, and you just love these but gods that Paul gives us in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, for God so loved the world, right? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Could you more better describe this morning's joy you have in your heart than that passage? And if you don't believe the first half of it, you'll never appreciate the second half of it, right? It was just an enablement if you don't understand how sinful we are, right? And that's Paul's point. Okay, I got to move along. So hard, though. These are just such beautiful, beautiful truths. Romans 5.12, look at that with me on this doctrine of man's sinfulness. Therefore, just as sin, where did it come from? Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, here comes original sin. And again, this is one of the doctrines that in many of the seminaries that were once thought very, very solid is absolutely being ripped apart, which is the idea that original sin has had a noetic effect, a all-encompassing effect on the human soul. And it is only through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that that is brought to life. That is squarely under attack in order to defend man's desire to be part of this glorious work that only the triune God has done <laughs> in their grace and mercy, right? So I just want you to see how these doctrines are under attack from places you would never imagine. 
Yes, sir. <laughs> well, there you go, right? There you go. Yeah, all you got to say is don't do that, and you just possess them to do it, right? It, uh, not my children, but I'm sure it was yours. <laughs> so, uh, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, those, those twins, right? The two certainties of life, death, sin. For the wages of sin is death. God decreed it. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Again, how do you climb out from underneath that rock, right? Okay, so now the next doctrine. Justification by faith. Here's a way to understand it. Narratively, complete freedom from judgment and the bondage of sin comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And obviously you can imagine a good concordance would give you a mile of passages that help you with that beautiful truth. But I'm just going to give you a couple. I want you to go to Isaiah 53:11. And this passage in Isaiah 53 at this time of the year is just so wondrous. But just look what is said here about Isaiah 53. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Listen to this. This is them, our triune God. Here comes us. Make many to be accounted righteous. It is not because we're righteous. It is because we have been accounted righteous. This is forensic, legal, ledger language. Our side of the ledger Sin, all the way to hell. Their side of the ledger, no sin. That no sin side is used to literally, in forensic accounting language, blot out your sin. Never says you were without sin. It blotted them out. That's what happens in this beautiful work of bringing us to faith, and this is the justification by faith so that they are both just and the justifier, right, as we'll study as we get into this book. So that make, to make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. There's the blotter. Beautiful picture, isn't it? Very visual. Christ is the blot. The holy blot that blots out every one of our sin. And a proper accounting of our sin, I think, would allow us to say, and they are so many, right? Just this very day. Coming back over to the New, New Testament, look at Titus 3, 3 through 7. And this just is so all-encompassing and wonderful. 
Titus 3, verse 3 through 7, For we ourselves were once foolish. Paul couldn't quite get over this fact, could he? Remember the three days he was blind and couldn't eat, sleep, or drink? Uh, I think this is an awful lot of what dominated his thinking. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, which is intent to do harm. That is rampant today. It is, hey, let's go out and fill in the blank, right? Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. There's that culture we're headed headlong into. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Do you see the contrast there? He saved us. We were headed out to do murderous work. Malice. And he saved us. That's why some people, they get saved. And they look like deer and they have no idea what just hit them, right? Have you seen them? Some people, it's gradual. Some people, it's just like stunning. They're, they're, they're just being yanked out of one side of this passage right to the other, but yet the other passage was just like right there. And they're saying, what in the world? And all the people they've hung out with, all the sins that they've been a part of, that is all still very much part of their life. But now there's a war beginning to take place inside of them. That's why the Lord talks about that tender reed, right? Look for those things. This is where we come out of, right? But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, verse 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You have no idea how powerful that passage is to a former Roman Catholic or a former any religion that is not true biblical Christianity because every one of them involves working to be a good person, to be just good enough or better to stand before whatever God it is I think I believe in. That's the religions of the world, of which last count there was about 27,000, if you can believe it. And not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing here comes the work of the Holy Spirit, the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, here it comes, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, that hope that we talked about last week, which is the certainty of future events, not the worldly hope. It says, I hope, you know, I hope, but I don't really believe. This is a certainty of future events, this hope, that we are heirs with Christ. Sanctification, naturally flowing right out of justification. Best way to think of that is through Christ's atonement, 
Believers are glorified and set apart for the service of God. So you are saved unto this. This is the purpose of our life. Look at Psalm 4. Verse 3, and just look at the continuity of Scripture and of David's heart. Psalm 4, verse 3, and then we're going to go to Hebrews 10. So Psalm 4, verse 3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Which flies right in the face of what most of us live for, right? When I say us, I mean the humanity us, right? The Lord hears when I call to him. Amen. That precious words, especially when it gets really dark and really fearful. Really uncertain. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, I just treasure this passage for a thousand reasons, but I'm just going to try to re read it through for you. Hebrews 10, go to verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 14. And here is our blessed, blessed Savior, Lord, and great High Priest, who can comfort you in every single trial or difficulty that you might find yourself in because he says he can. Just think about what he endured 2,000 some odd years ago. Because the first thing he did when he came to Jerusalem was wept. And the last thing they did was crucified him in the most horrifically it was it was a death designed for maximum pain. This is our Lord. Hebrews 10.8 says, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offering and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been, here it comes, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How many gatherings this morning do you think are pure worship versus works-based, sacrificial showy this and showy that in order to show how religious we are when our worship just sits right here he doesn't accept those things because what do they do they exalt man and they steal the glory of christ and that's what this writer of hebrews clearly paul's 
you know, alter ego or, or, or whatever the right word is, maybe not alter, but so much of Paul's thinking flows through this writer. Verse 9, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his surface, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Never. It was always to point us to the need for sins to be finally and fully taken away. And that was Christ in his ministry for the Jewish people and for us. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time, back and forward, eternity, <laughs> a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, which he continues to do to this very day. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time, listen to this, those who are being sanctified. Isn't that wonderful? So what does that tell you? On your worst and most sinful day, you are sanctified. It is positional. In God's economy, you are already with them, glorified in heaven, completely sinless. But in order to use us vessels to share the glory of the Christ who has done this to us, he leaves us here in our struggle with sin so that, as Nancy pointed out last week, that we might continue to cling to him. <laughs> Only God could come up with this, right? Man could never come up with this. It's just wondrous. <laughs> it's just, it never, I hope it never ceases to amaze me. And another piece that flows right out of this justification by faith, reconciliation, sanctification, reconciliation, Think of it as the sacrifice of Jesus Christ which renews the relationship between God and man. And this is really key. Justification by faith is pregnant with all of this. Sanctification. Reconciliation. Because Paul makes abundantly clear we are hostile enemies of God. Uh, yeah, we're this, but it, this is from God's We are hostile enemies from God. He looks at us and said, that is a hostile enemy of mine. Right? And that is bridged and reconciled through the work of Christ. That's that throne room. Right? The accuser. We talked about, like, he did this, she did this, the dip, the dip. It goes on and on and on. And our blessed triune God says, but he believed in my son. And I declare him not only not guilty, but family, treasured for eternity. <laughs> That's us undeserving sinful people. 
And Paul is just going to work this out of this beautiful book wonderfully for us. Go with me to Romans 5 again, verse 10 and 11, preceding that passage we read before at verse 12, obviously. But verse 10 says in this idea of reconciliation, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, I love this much more, right? As if that wasn't enough, Paul says, there, the reconcili- there's so much more that flows out of the reconciliation, right? For if we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, the resurrection. It's right there. The much more is the resurrection. The death was the means of atonement, the blotting out the eternal life we will enjoy and the sanctified life we now enjoy is because of the resurrection, because God the Father accepted the sacrifice on our behalf. What joy in heaven had to be taking place at that moment? Probably right after the Lord returned from the trip to the dark place to proclaim what had been accomplished to those who relentlessly tried to stop it. And it's not Joyce Meyer, she was wrong. He didn't go share the gospel (laughs) or dwell in hell for the sins, right? He went to proclaim the victory that they had relentlessly tried to stop. If you don't know that, we'll look at that someday, Lord willing. Shall we be saved by his life? Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And to go back to Isaiah 53 with me, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us Peace, there's the reconciliation. No longer hostile to God. God has declared peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. You guys are going to know how to flip through your Bibles good. For he himself is our peace, Paul picks this right up, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, I'm in Ephesians 2, 14, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ tore that wall down. The veil is torn. Christ lives and we are reconciled through him and can, as Gurnall said, boldly come into the throne room of God with our prayers. You look like you're just about to jump up and dance, brother. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and just look at the language Isaiah uses when you think about that bloody welcoming. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. But it was our, it was all our sin, all his blood. This is the beauty of just digging into these scriptures. Ephesians, uh, let's see, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, I've read. We can read it again. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh, dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that might create, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And there is the culmination of the eternal body of Christ in the future state. Colossians 1, 20 through 23. This one of the, I mean, how can you say one of the sweetest books? It's one of the the 66 sweetest books, right? <laughs> but this is certainly right. Up, and it, it's probably the sweetest when you're reading it, whatever book it is. But Colossians 1.20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And here it comes again. You who were once who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing, present tense, evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy, hard words to imagine, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy and blameless, and above the true reproach of the accuser because of Christ. These are these doctrines, and the reason we walk through these passages is that's how a doctrine is understood. You walk through the Bible and you begin to see these themes of Scripture over and over, and they're central to your understanding of what the triune God has done. Paul says in verse 23, if indeed you are, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What a joy that must have been for Paul. I want to read to you a couple of commentaries and then we'll close the this portion of our study it's from dr boyce on john 12 44 where you are in the midst of this intense exchange of our lord because he's going to the cross and he is speaking not only to the sadducees and the pharisees but he is speaking to the entire crowd who was going to welcome him into jerusalem 
and crucify him. Same crowd. And Dr. Boyce Hartz just rises up from John 12, 44 through 50. We won't read that, but listen to Dr. Boyce's call. Do you think God is love? You know that God is love because Jesus Christ is love and showed it by dying for us. Do you think that God is holy and righteous and good? Do you want to know what God is filled, that God is filled with wisdom, that he understands you, that he is able to help you in any extremity? You know that because of Jesus. <laughs> Therefore, we as Christians are not left in the dark as to what God is. We do not find ourselves saying, Oh, I wish I knew what he is like. If only I could know him. That would certainly be satisfying. We are not in the position of those who make that kind of statement. Rather, we are those who turn our eyes to the Jesus we find in the scriptures and say, there is our God revealed. And we love him and worship him because of it. I want to end at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to share with you the passage, but I also want to share with you from verse 18. Dr. MacArthur's commentary. Uh, this is a treasured passage to all of us. Um, this is one of the passages that he would often encourage and exhort people when they would ask him to sign a Bible or a book. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says of us who love the Lord, and we all, with unveiled face, boldly, beholding the glory of the Lord, are, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And you have to ask, how can that be? And yet I guarantee you, if you look at an old-timey saint, seasoned in their Christian walk, and could walk back their life to the day they were saved, you would see exactly how that's coming about. Because the Holy Spirit makes sure of it. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ in your sanctification and mine. Isn't that beautiful? And so Paul says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, if you've got your MacArthur Study Bible, I'm just going to read his commentary on this. We all, he says, not just Moses or prophets, apostles, and preachers, but all believers with unveiled face, believers in the new covenant have nothing obstructing their vision of Christ and his glory is revealed in the scripture beholding are reflecting as with a mirror 
Paul's emphasis here is not so much on the reflective capabilities of the mirror as it is on the intimacy of it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what you should see in the mirror. That's the intimacy Dr. MacArthur is talking about. Mirrors in Paul's day were polished metal and thus offered a far from perfect reflection. Though the vision is unobstructed and intimate, believers do not see a perfect representation of God's glory now, but will one day. Right? There's hope for us, Mark. <laughs> Being transformed, a continual progression, transformation into the same image. As they gaze at the glory of the Lord, believers are continually being transformed into Christ's likeness. The ultimate goal of the believer is to be like Christ and be continually focusing on Him. The Spirit transforms the believer more and more into His image from one degree of glory to another. From one level of glory to another level of glory. From one level of manifesting Christ to another. This verse describes progressive sanctification. And the more believers grow in their knowledge of Christ, the more he is revealed in their lives. Which is why we treasure the scriptures. Not just for the sake of being a reader of the Bible, but to read it and understand it and consider the implications of it and then apply that implication and understanding to the very lives we're living and the very times we're living and the discernment of the times because Paul says what? The days are evil. Remember what evil was in the garden? I understand the clear commandment of God. I just simply choose to do something else. Kind of gives a whole different perspective to evil, doesn't it? Because we're seeing it through our sinful lens and not the pure and holy God who is going to crucify his son because of that evil. <laughs> That's why it is so evil to him. Brother, would you pray for us? Close this out.